RIMS Risk World, the annual gathering of risk and insurance professionals and business leaders, returns April 30th in Atlanta. The 2023 event features the largest exhibition dedicated to risk management in the world, as well as a four-day conference with more than 300 speakers presenting on a wide range of risk management topics. It's also a can't-miss networking opportunity for those in business and those in the business of risk and insurance. Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. I'm David Hilgen. Our guest today is Jennifer Santiago, RIMS 2023 President and Director, Risk Management and Safety at Wakefern Food Corporation in New Jersey. Wakefern is the largest retailer-owned cooperative in the United States and supports retailers from Massachusetts to Maryland, including my go-to grocery store, ShopRite of Flemington. Jennifer previously was Chief Risk Officer at Penn State University and Director, Risk Management and Investigations at Novartis. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, David. I'm really, really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, Jennifer, I'm really excited to speak to you. As I mentioned, I am Team Wakefern when it comes to groceries. (laughs) Thank you. And I also have a daughter at Penn State, so I have some insight into the risks associated with higher education in Happy Valley. (laughs) And we're both New Jersey residents, and that's actually where I want to start. Um, Although I'm not native to the the Garden State, I was, you know, born in the Philadelphia suburbs. I've lived here for 25 years now. Do you ever feel the urge to defend our home state from those who only know New Jersey from Jersey Shore and the Sopranos? (laughs) Uh, You know, I think that there's been a lot of bad press about New Jersey over the years, but I I don't know. I'm optimistic. I feel like things have changed as uh, New Jersey is really, you know, a highly educated and high wage earning state. Right. And really top job market, top schools. So I find the rest of it sort of funny. And I think native New Jerseyans as well just sort of laugh it off. We all don't have big hair and say, forget about it. And, (laughs) you know, those kinds of things. You know, the ties to the Italian community are strong, but so are really, uh, you know, ties to a lot of other communities. And uh, that's what I think part of what I love about New Jersey is the diversity, race, religion, socioeconomic. That really makes New Jersey and and even our neighbor, New York, kind of unique and gritty. I don't defend it. I applaud it. And, um, you know, I think people are so open and direct in New Jersey. And that's just, you know, we get things done, you know, so I love it. Yeah, I love the diversity here too of the people, but also of the environments. And you can you can be hiking in hills in the north uh, west part. You can go to the beach. You can go to swamplands and forests. And exactly. There's just about anything you want in this tiny little state. So that's right. That's right. It's the Garden State. Okay. Well, that's enough about New Jersey. I need to switch gears before we lose listeners. Um, <laughs> speaking of switching gears, you've had a diverse career in risk management so far. How did you get started? Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, I think so many, you know, students are coming out today with risk management and insurance and, you know, analytics and actuarial degrees. But a lot of those things weren't popular when I came out of school. So there was probably one or two programs, you know, everybody sort of stumbles and feels their way. And I ended up interning as a, what was called a medical liability representative. I really wanted to go to law school. That was my original aspiration, but I was, you know, women in law 
you know, 20 years ago was tough. And so I ended up at NYU Medical Center and uh, just got this amazing opportunity there. I reported to the chief risk, uh, the, the chief financial officer, sorry, risk okay. officer titles, I don't think existed. And yeah. um, I reported to the CFO and he just really gave me tremendous opportunity exposure to, you know, the captive that they were participating in, captive insurance company, which I think we'll talk about. And also, um, you know, just different types and levels of risk and exposure that healthcare risk managers face. And then I also was managing a team. So this was incredible. I got to manage people and learn, you yeah. know, what I was good at, what I wasn't, how to get better, um, you know, what sure. people needed. It was really just a great kind of kickoff start that led me into some other really great organizations like Ingersoll Rand and Novartis Pharmaceutical and, and Penn State and to where I am now. Yeah, I'm always fascinated when I talk to someone in the risk or insurance field as to how they got there, and, and very few of them planned it that way. I mean, I was a newspaper journalist for years before I stumbled onto a job at AMBEST and then then the insurance yeah. industry directly. So I mentioned you worked at Novartis, a pharmaceutical company, Penn State, what my mm-hmm. alumna wife calls the greatest college ever. Uh, <laughs> now. And now Wakefern, every one of these uh, is a business, including Penn State, but very different business models, I would say. How have you been able to adjust to the diversity of risks that each opportunity has presented? Yeah, I think that's what's kept me interested, to be honest with you. It's stylistically appropriate for me as an individual and and Mm -hmm. not for for everybody. Um, The really important thing, uh, you know, to keep in mind is that a risk manager has a toolkit. And that toolkit has everything you really need in it to apply okay. to different business models, public, private, not-for-profit, you know, industrial, tech, higher ed. And so I've got this toolkit and things that I've learned and studied and uh, gathered over the years. And that really moves along with me. But I'm fascinated by different business models and products and services. What do we make? You know, what do we sell? Who are our customers? Yeah. What do they need in value? And so... I've worked, uh, you know, for a lot of different organizations so that I could, you know, keep that part, that side interesting for me. And then making sure I'm with organizations where the values are aligned, you know, I align with the values. That's really important to me as well. So always getting out of my comfort zone is just my thing. I like to challenge myself, learn about, you know, the goals of the organization. And then risk management comes in and says, you know, how can we, how can risk management help you support achievement of those goals and objectives? What can get in the way, you know, of achievement and what are the opportunities that come with risk? The more risk, sometimes the more risk you take, the more opportunity there is. So how do you take, you know, smart and strategic balanced risk? So I've been able to bring my risk management experience really to all those different industries and situations and roles. And I like the diversity, you know, it's the diversity of operations, the diversity of the people, um, all of things. I'm kind of a dot connector. I like to see patterns and trends, similarities, differences, comparing, contrasting. So, you know, as I go to a new organization, I'm able to have my own sort of personal benchmarking. You know, yeah. here's how this organization did it. Here's how this is organization. Yeah. And then RIMS has been a common thread for me, right? Because it's where I've gotten education resources, networking that have kept me kind of at the forefront of the industry and, and yeah. kind of always looking forward. Yeah. So yeah, RIMS can help you update the tools in your toolkit. I like the way you describe that. I think about my own career as having a toolkit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So much has happened in the uh, world of risk in the last several years. The global pandemic, war in Europe, supply chain issues, inflation, extreme weather, 
uh, potential recession on the horizon. Did I miss anything? Uh, probably. <laughs> How have the events of the past few years affected the risk management community? Yeah, that's a lot, actually, all of the things that you've just said, right? And, you know, it's hard to find positive in a lot of those things. There certainly has been opportunity that came out of the pandemic, you know, from mm -hmm. a digital standpoint, advancing. Sure. I think the spotlight was directed at risk management really back you know, for the most part, prominently, in my perspective, 2008 financial crisis, right? Yeah. And so that elevated, it created some regulation, it created some mandates around risk management, elevated the profession and the focus. And then the pandemic really just, you know, that that light was shining even brighter and featured on risk managers prominently, really from a crisis management, risk management yeah. resiliency standpoint. You know, when you think about it now, there's so much that came at us that nobody was prepared for. You know, mm -hmm. how did we how did we think that this would literally spread across the globe and have the impact that it did? Even though pandemic was on the risk registers of, you yeah. know, so many organizations, how sure. did you anticipate all of those knock-on effects, you know, all of the things that would be cascading um, yeah. from it? So I don't really know when I think about it, I don't know any other role in an organization that has that complete 360 degree view uh, of the organization of, you know, who does what, where the parts come together and connect, how to get things done. So risk management is really well positioned for yeah. uh, things like this. Right. And so immediately, you know, you get called to the table and, you know, what do we do and, and, you know, how do we bring the right parties together? And that was really what happened when I was at Penn State. Yeah. I, I mean, I joined in the pandemic hit. So it was, yeah. it was a wild, fascinating ride to be there in a, you know, a prestigious higher ed organization with, you know, such talented and collaborative people. So I think it's logical at the table, we're leading the change, you know, with the other key stakeholders. Um, yeah. You know, I, I have said in, in a few interviews about the fact that history is no longer repeating itself, mm -hmm. which is kind of an oxymoron in the term, right? But it's just, it doesn't seem to be that we can look back on the past to predict the future. Okay. And that's really difficult for people who, you know, rely on models sure. and things, right? Because what are you feeding into the model when, you know, the present is so different from the past? So, I, you know, I think it's I think it's elevated the profession. I think it's raised the consciousness. I think it's helped put risk management, uh, you know, at that at the table of the bin at the table, but more chief risk officer roles, more focus on the profession yeah. and the ability to sit on public private boards, uh, the board of directors and provide the risk lens is, is great. So a lot of really exciting things are happening, I think, in risk management, really as a product of what's going on in the world that has no chance of slowing down. It's just going to be continuous change. Right? Yeah, it's I was amazed at, uh, you know, when the pandemic hit and we all had to shut down, how quickly we all pivoted. I mean, this technology th that we're using now where we can look at our computers and talk to each other was available, but no one was using it until we had exactly. to. <laughs> and now we yeah. can't live without it. Now we use it all the time. Absolutely. I recall, as you said, you know, when things hit, it was you had to assess, you know, what was your resiliency plan? And you learned, you know, the parts of your operations that were really operating in somewhat of a Stone Age model, you know, uh, hand delivering things because everybody was present. And now what do you do when you're not in an office anymore? Um, well, you use, you, you know, electronic signature. Oh, this is yep. amazing, right? Digital signature. So it forced, um, you know, probably 10 plus years of advancement.
in about yeah. a week, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So, so in light of all these risks that we've had to navigate, what are the topics getting the most buzz at RIMS Risk World this year? Yeah, we've got, it's interesting because right around this time, I think they recently, well, maybe a few weeks ago, put out for hot topics. So there's always uh-huh. room, you know, right before the conference to add anything that's on fire because mm-hmm. the sessions are picked, you know, quite a long time ago because it's such a big event to put together. But, you know, I think the top of mind issues, you know, cyber, of course, is is uh, is a big one, continues to be a top concern around the world with our greater dependence on technology, which we were just talking about, right? We've all yeah. moved everything to the virtual world and, you know, relying on the cloud and data is so necessary, but it's also, you know, there's so much concern about data privacy and stewardship and uh, the regulations and reporting requirements and really, you know, kind of the third party risk management, right? So we we transfer the risk to a third party and then what do we do to vet that they have, you know, the appropriate uh, mechanisms in place to protect that information. Uh So cyber's big, you know, RIMS has a backed uh, public-private partnership on a cyber backstop similar to, you know, TRIA around 9-11, right? So so because there's a, just a concern that the insurance market, every time there's a bad cyber loss, the insurance market can pull back a little on coverage. Yeah. And uh, so cyber's big. The constrained insurance market, you know, the hard market, as it's referred to, it, it is definitely top of mind for every risk and insurance professional. Mm-hmm. You know, just concerned about capacity. Can we get the coverage? What are the terms going to be like? The amount of limit that's available? And then, of course, cost, you know, that the prices are up and that's made it more difficult. Some organizations may choose to buy less insurance because it's just costing too much. And so looking for alternative risk transfer strategies, including captive insurance companies, what's called parametric insurance programs, cat Uh bonds, you know, all kinds of interesting things. And then I think, you know, the whole ESG and DE&I, right, Um, environmental, social governance and university equity inclusion, these are hot topics as it relates to organizational governance, uh, talent risk. And so there'll be a a number of sessions along those lines. There's also a rising risk professional track this year, which is exciting um, for young professionals to really help, you know, bring them along in their career as kind of that next gen. So that's, Mm -hmm. uh, that's really exciting. And then I think for me, you know, I'm looking forward to sort of being the ambassador, welcoming everybody, everyone from everywhere to this preeminent event and, um, you know, helping people reconnect and, you know, expand their networks and really, uh, you know, take advantage of what we collectively have. It's a profession that's very welcoming, I find, to, you know, really sharing information and, you know, helping people be successful. So, well, I look forward to you greeting people at the door as they arrive. Uh, I will be there. I don't know how much time you'll have. uh, (laughs) That's true. The calendar is very, very booked, but I'm committed to shaking and, you know, fist pumping and waving (laughs) and welcoming uh, everyone. We'll have a lot of people from around the world. So, yeah. Fantastic. I'll look, yeah. I'll look for you there. But so you mentioned a couple of things, ESG and, and D, E, and I. I want to uh, tackle both of those a little deeper. ESG, which stands for environmental, social, and government. It's such a broad and often misunderstood topic. Uh, businesses are trying to get ahead of the curve. Uh, shareholders and, and stakeholders are demanding it, but also our regulators are likely to enforce it. 
that's also you know the right thing to do. I don't think we have enough time today to give the topic its due, but I want to know what is the single biggest challenge to risk managers when it comes to ESG? Oh, as you said, you know, how much time do we have, right? I, mm-hmm. I think that part of the challenge is that the the sort of collection of risk areas in the ESG bucket are you know, the risks that we've had our eyes on, right? They've been on risk registers. They've been top yeah. priority. Organizations are building programs and strategies around these areas. So it's uh, it's somewhat interesting that they got lumped together as, you know, kind of one initiative. Um, but, you know, we I think the world likes acronyms and likes to sort sure. of, you know, to do that, right? I'm fully supportive of initiatives and regulations and frameworks and really clarity around expectations of appropriate and leading governed social environmental priorities. And I think, you know, you've got SEC requiring climate-related disclosures. There's push for better board diversity, which I applaud and love um, through NASDAQ and other organizations you see around the mm-hmm. world, mandating, you know, a certain percentage of diversity on the boards and then sustainability standards around financial and accounting. But I think it's all ways to sort of raise our collective consciousness around what is good and right for the world uh, for future generations, you know, um, you know, for you know my children and, and their children. And sure. so I think that we're raising, you know, families and children that are really more socially, culturally, and environmentally aware, sure. and they're demanding the change kind of voting with their feet and how they show up and participate, how they make purchases. And and so these changes will, will not only be required by regulation, but they'll really be required by customers and it'll just be, it'll become a, you know, expectation. So as a risk manager, all of these areas should be, um, you know, on your radar at a minimum. And then I think organizations are um, maybe looking to take things a step up. So not just complying with regulations that are state, local, country level, but also setting a higher bar for themselves. And the Zurich Foundation is doing amazing things around communities that are negatively impacted by climate change, which is very forward thinking. A lot of organizations are, are um, you know, similarly looking at how can we be more progressive and take it a step further, set up a higher bar. So risk management really should be in the front seat, leading those discussions, helping organizations think and strategize on how best to adopt a pivot shift operations production, you know, set your key performance indicators to these standards and keep an eye on, you know, kind of deviations from that, because I think there's a clear knock on effect to reputation and respect and how people will, you know, buy your product, vote, um, you know, purchase mm-hmm. your stock, be involved in your organization, speak positively. Um, yeah. So to me, you know, there's there's a force there and, you know, sometimes it's led by regulation and I think we've got regulation, you know, coming around and and enforcing certain things. And then I think we've also got, you know, this sort of next gen that's going to push us all there one way or another. Yeah. Um, and so you can, you know, sort of sit back and wait or you can, you know, get ahead of it. And I think as an organization, there's this, you know, the greenwashing, right? So we can just, you know, give it lip service and say we're doing it. But uh, that'll only get you so far, right? It's pretty, it becomes yeah. apparent when you're not, you know, walking the uh, talk. I think that's the yeah. way to say that, right? So what, as risk managers, what we need to think about is what are the knock-on effects that, you know, happen when you make decisions over, you know, in one area that could affect sure. what you do in another. 
So that's part of what we do, right? Connecting those dots and understanding the impact and being very transparent with yourself as an organization, with your board of directors, make sure your board you yeah. know, understands where you are, understand what their expectations are. So big nuts to crack, interesting stuff for sure. There'll be, you know, hot topic for sure. Lots of conversation at, at the conference about it. And we'll see, you know, how the regulations and things come down. Yeah. Well, it's going to be important to get clarity around it because it's become such a, a political football anymore. If, but, uh, right. you know, people, people really need to understand what it means. So, so that'll be the, the key risk here. Exactly. Uh, and then now I want to talk a little bit. I know there's a, a lot of programming at Risk World focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, there's some meetups, coffee chats, a whole education track devoted to the topic. Why is it so important for risk professionals to make DE&I a priority? It's a great question to me on a personal level. DE&I kind of underpins everything. It's an important part of you know my, my platform for my presidential year at RIMS. Uh, Marsh is sponsoring a lot of those meetups and chats and things at the conference, mm. which is fantastic. Um, you know, I think the years of bolting on, you know, DE&I and trying to create an impression that it's a priority, you know, saying one thing, doing another is really kind of over. You know, I think DE&I underpins ESG. And mm -hmm. um, so we've got to get the foundation built right with diversity of, you know, culture, race, religion, people, you know, disability orientation and bring that diversity of thought and experience and perspective. And this helps will help organizations identify their blind spots, gaps, things that they need to mitigate, reduce risk. So it all, you know, really ties together so well from my perspective, you know, a room full of people and we've all had this, right? A room full yeah. of people that look the same, talk the same, think the same, uh -huh. will produce a single answer to a very complex problem. Yeah. And, and then a lot of surprises will come uh, after that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we just can't afford to operate that way anymore. It's just not appropriate. It's not right. So yeah. I think it's a, I think any organization who's not taking it seriously is at a tremendous risk and it'll be a key reason for not being successful really for their failure. You'll lose yeah. employees, right? You'll lose customers, you'll lose employees, respect, you know, reputational impact. Yeah. And then, you know, from those things, it spirals, becomes a financial failure. So, and then we know the rest of the story. So yeah. making it mandatory, a mandatory priority is important. Time is now, you know, no more exaggerating, you know, what you're doing mm -hmm. and making claims that aren't based in fact. Um, it's sort of like, I don't know what the comparable greenwashing term is for, for this, but, you know, just talking, saying it, but not doing anything about it just yeah. no longer works. Right. And I think, you know, we do risk managers, right. We do risk assessment workshops and emerging risk workshops. We bring groups together to think about future risk and things. And again, if, you, you, if you're if you not um, looking for diverse perspectives and diversity in those workshops, yeah. you, you're just not gonna get where you need to. So, and I think we have a power to be able to um, expect diversity from our, our service providers and you know the partners that we work with to make sure that we're partnering with those that we think have that same value and mindset around DEI. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it really is a, business imperative is what it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The yeah. Thing, so. yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about captive insurance because, you know, insurance isn't confusing enough 
for most business <laughs> leaders. So, and I actually went and looked up a definition of captive insurance from captive.com. I assume this is correct. A captive insurer is generally defined as an insurance company that is wholly owned and controlled by its insureds. Its primary purpose is to ensure the risks of its owners and its insureds benefit from the captive insurer's underwriting profits. Having said all that, wow. uh, can you talk can you talk a little bit about why businesses might use captives as a risk management tool? Oh my goodness, I'm not sure that that definition even made sense, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that probably leads to a little more confusion. So yes, I have been fortunate, I think, in my career to have a lot of exposure to captive insurance companies, and um, I don't know that everyone can say that, so I do feel yeah. fortunate in that regard. Yeah. You know, financing of risk is really top of mind for business leaders. And while the focus is always on, you know, prevention and reducing and mitigating risk, right? Those are the, uh -huh. those are the core things. You need that financial backstop and sure. you need to know that if something, you know, really, really bad happens that you've got, you know, your disaster recovers, your business continuity and your insurance programs. And this is all, you know, organizations are in the business to achieve objectives and deliver, you know, deliver what they deliver. So all critical things. Organizations historically have turned to third-party insurance market to fully transfer risk. You pay uh -huh. a premium and hopefully not worry about it uh, thereafter, right? But that equation, that comfort has been challenged a little bit with constraints around, you know, as we talked about capacity, yeah. insurance capacity, right? Um, coverage and, and cost. I think the reinsurance market has made it very difficult for the primary insurance market. And so uh -huh. it's just sort of this domino effect. Um, and so really there's a need for alternatives in addition yeah. to just straight up third party um, insurance. And that's where a captive insurance company can become very interesting, right? Because it's a self-insurance vehicle and uh, you know owned and operated and licensed in, in the domicile that you choose, but it's a way to fund for unexpected losses, higher deductibles, coverage that you know you either couldn't obtain or need higher limits and you can't find it in the marketplace. So it just gives you again, like when you talk about the toolkit, this is this is an important tool in the toolkit that we should have access to. I think uh, chief financial officers and organizations are paying more and more attention to things like this. Should we yeah. set up a captive? Is it a financially viable option for us? Does it make sense? Does it meet our objectives? So I think it's a great option and tool. And I think that the appetite for it has has certainly grown as the market has become more challenged over the last yeah. several years. Mm -hmm. It certainly makes sense uh, considering the state of the insurance market right now to exactly. at least explore captives. Yes, so. yes. So finally, Jennifer, what do you hope to accomplish as RIMS president this year? Well, you know, RIMS is a 70, I think, three-year history. And so mm -hmm. um, that's fantastic. And I want to keep that momentum going. We have a new CEO at, at RIMS, Gary LeBranch, and some exciting um, ideas and opportunities coming out of, you know, just sort of the fresh eyes and the, the change. So I'm excited about the opportunity this year to, you know, drive that momentum, but also focus on some key things for me. And we've talked about them today. So thank you so much for your questions because it aligns so well with my priorities around DE&I, um, around elevating the profession really, and seeing more risk managers as chief risk officers and organizations, everybody needs one. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're coming out 
these students that are uh, getting these amazing experience in universities uh, from a risk management and insurance standpoint are coming out ready to go. Spencer Educational Foundation is funding their education and they're off and running. So want to see more risk managers in the C-suite and sitting on boards and providing that risk management lens. Uh, so big, big, big themes for me. And then, you know, it's, I feel like the pandemic, if we consider ourselves out of it, you know, it's just time for people to come back together. I know the world has changed 150%, right? And so yeah. work from home has become the norm. And, and there are a lot of good aspects to that from a, you know, a work-life balance but, uh, you know, if there's a community need, you know, to reconnect and establish those relationships and network. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to really bringing people back together. You know, RIMS, we have chapters outside of the U.S. and essentially in every state and, you know, really getting, you know, this bunch of just great people functioning at the local level, bringing their peers together to talk about topics, share information and grow together. So really want to focus on our chapters and what our chapters need to be successful and resilient. So I guess those are, you know, reconnecting education from, from RIMS, advocacy at the federal and, and state level, um, and, and, and of DE&I. Well, so, that's, that's quite an agenda. I, I, wish quite an agenda. Best, I wish you the best of luck on, on all that. So, and, and so Jennifer, much. I do, I do want to thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been a pleasure. So, and thanks and I, also to, okay, yeah. go on. No, I was going to say, look forward to seeing you in Atlanta at Risk World. Yeah, I'll be there running Great. around. Great. Thanks also to our listeners who tuned in for this Future of Risk podcast. I'm David Hilgen. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com. And join us next week. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice. And accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.